Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and today on the show, I've got Jen Matheson, known each other for quite a while, um, of Daily Blender, got lots of, um, well, you have your fingers in lots of pies, I guess, you know, you got a lot, (laughs) so to speak, so to speak. Um, So to speak. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you and and hear your voice and and just hear the laughter in your voice. It's been such a rough couple of years that uh, you've definitely been one of those guys that I've been holding in my heart. So it's good to see you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It it is. There's been, I don't want to curse anything, but the last couple of days have been all right. We, um, well, we can jump into it because it actually relates a lot to how uh, you and I um, crossed paths the first time. So um, you came in to do an article uh, for Daily Blender at, uh, black market back at gosh, what was it, 2011? It's been a while, yeah. yeah it's kind of right at the beginning of the whole farm to table movement, uh, you know, nationwide. Absolutely. And um, Chef Micah um, left Black Market in, I believe, in 2017. And he's been working in Maine for the last three years, something like that, um, just as a seasonal chef. But we just announced literally an hour ago that Chef Micah is going to be joining the Inferno Room for the winter. Um, so we're kind of getting the, the band back together because my partner Chris there was our GM at Black Market. So it's me, Micah, and Chris all kind of back in the one building again. So nice. yeah, pretty pretty excited about that. And it kind of ties into talking to you today because that's, Absolutely. that's where we first crossed paths. Yes, yes. I remember we went in there for lunch and uh, and you were busy behind the bar, the bar checking receipts no. and looking at orders. And and uh, and I remember I I just I wanted to say hello and you were framed so well in the bar. I wanted to snap a picture of you. And uh, and that's how we met was uh, I hopped on up and, and introduced myself. and wanted to know what you were up to standing behind the bar. So, well, so, you know, we were there to write a piece um, for the Daily Blender, which is kind of um, well, it's a multifunctional website. I mean, you know, it's kind of blog, it's kind of uh, an aggregator. I mean, why don't you explain to those, (laughs) and and there's a caveat here (laughs) regarding content, but we're going to get into that, but like explain the Daily Blender for anybody out there that wants to kind of get on and see all those older articles, you know, the archives. Absolutely. So Daily Blender started um, back uh, as I was leaving the business. Uh, I had been running an organic catering business here in Portland for about five years. Uh, And then uh, uh, as we were moving out of it, uh, focusing on uh, a baby that we had and, um, and, and ending my marriage in the same process. Woo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Daily Blender came out of the ashes. As I, as I like to tell people, uh, I wrote a book about my experience running the catering business and then was, uh, looking for additional writing opportunities. There was a blog network in uh, Toronto that was looking to hire somebody to cover restaurant business news. And, uh, and I jumped right in, uh, and it, and it really just grew exponentially. And, and I really enjoyed, uh, telling the tales from the kitchen from the standpoint of, of being a previous owner and uh, and understanding just kind of the rigmarole of the whole business. Uh, and then as the years progressed, I was traveling a bunch uh, for food and wine events and uh, and I wanted to kind of just expand it a bit more into culture, art, mm-hmm. uh, authors, uh, just all kinds of opportunities came in my door and, and I jumped on them. So I had opportunity to interview Steven Soderbergh a couple of years ago, which was fantastic and a, a marvelous. Oh, really? Experience. I didn't realize. Did you do an article about the uh, Singani? Singani, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah uh, a dear friend Rocky Ye had him in town and uh, and always invited me for brunch whenever he was in town and uh, and said, "Hey, you want to have breakfast with uh, Stephen uh, Soderbergh?" <laughs> <laughs> <In a real country. laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't think I'm doing anything. Let me jump right in. Um, and yeah, and, and actually ended up, uh, the interview went so well over, over brunch that, uh, that he invited me to hang out with him all day long. And so I got to kick around town with Steven Soderbergh all day and, uh, and sit in on business meetings, you know, about the Singani and they were talking about the design of the bottle at that point. And, hmm. uh, and it was a great experience. Uh, but yeah, because of that, uh, you know, I've had some really great experience with Daily Blender. I also got to, uh, interview Nichelle Nichols, who was the original Lieutenant oh, yeah. Uhura. Uhura. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. It was, it was. And then, uh, and then this, just this last year, um, I got the opportunity to interview Stefan Fry, who is the goalkeeper okay. of the Seattle Sounders. And I've been a big Sounders fan for a long time. So, uh, to be able to somehow get soccer on a daily blender was definitely a dream come true. So yeah, it's just, it's, um, I love, uh, lifting the voices of the people that are doing the work or, uh, you know, who are, uh, you know, behind the, behind the scenes, in the kitchen, behind the bar, um, you know, maybe not necessarily folks that are getting a lot of press at, you know, Daily Blender definitely started with, with the food network and the cooking channel and big stars in my eyes, <laughs> um, you know, but it's definitely evolved over the years because of the travel and because of the people that I've met. Um, Bourdain was very inspirational to me and he really mm. was always doing that work as well. And, uh, and, and it was something that really called to me. Well, certainly the timing couldn't have been better because it was, like I said in the beginning, it's kind of was right at the beginning of that explosion. And I've, Absolutely. I've kind of framed it in a negative light in the last several episodes, not necessarily negative, but kind of saying, you know, this is, I, I kind of think that the, the golden age of farm to table is gone. You know, mm. as we head into the new decade, the pandemic pretty much wiped it out. And what I mean by that is that between 2010 and 2020, much anybody could get a place open like investors are just throw money at restaurants. If you were even a mediocre cook, cause they just, everybody wanted to be involved. Right. Yeah. But you know, like it's, was just a time where there was no shortage of content, but it also was a time when everybody thought that they deserved to be a food writer, <laughs> you know? Oh yes, absolutely. And, and so like the, the staying power is something that's really interesting. And you, I mean, you really, I mean, you just recently kind of hit the brakes on that. And as a lot of us have, and yeah. sure that's correlated. Um, but you know, the, um, as it branched out, I mean, how did you, I guess, dedicate that much time? Cause it's, it's not a paying gig, right? I mean, same it's as not. Podcasts, <laughs> right. And that's where I say, I know that my personal experience with Shift Drink has been, you know, in the very beginning, you know, you're starting out and you try to pitch to people like, hey, you want to sit down for an interview for an hour? And they're just like, who the hell are you? What are you doing? What are you going to be talking about? Do you have a, you know, they ask for like portfolios and things like that. But, you know, after you get a few kind of under your belt, it, the ball starts rolling and it, and it gets a little bit easier. I mean, you interview somebody like Soderbergh, that's a lot easier to go to your next guest. Like, oh, well, I had Steven Soderbergh in my last, you know. <laughs> during my last interview. And so it's Absolutely. just kind of easy to roll that in and just keep that moving. I mean, as you mentioned, Bourdain I mean, yeah. did the same thing, you know, kind of took Kitchen Confidential and just rolled that into a career. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Well, and that was the really neat part is that, um, you know, especially after those couple of years where I was focused on uh, Bourdain, Repair, Colicchio, Chang, you know, all mm, of those yeah. guys, um, you know, I, I really just started getting these pitches from elsewhere. Uh, and, uh, and, and what really kind of, 
kind of twisted it and, and it's definitely more personal is that uh, my brother was part of a band and I wanted to do, you know, a little bit of press for him and, and get an interview mm-hmm. out there. And, uh, you know, I was really proud just as a, a sister to watch him play. And, and, and I had a place to put it. And I, you know, I originally reached out to a couple other record, uh, you know, companies or, or uh, magazines mm-hmm. and didn't get any kind of response or got negative responses. And I thought, well, you know, if I've got a platform, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shift it. Um, you know, it, even just for this little piece, you know, uh, because again, it's mine. <laughs> I don't have to, sure. I don't sure. have to say anything to anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I put it out there and, and that opened doors. And then I started getting those pitches for, you know, covering music, covering concerts. Um, I was able to get into the press pit of Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field, which was, <laughs> gosh, cool. a total dream come true. Um, you know, and then it started rolling. And then people came to me and said, I've got Nichelle Nichols. Do you want to interview her? I've got Steven Soderbergh. Do you want to interview, you know, him? And it just, uh, it's really just an honor. I'm, I'm so, I'm so honored that people think of my work that way and that it's been able to continue to evolve in that direction. Well, you know, we talked about there being just like a flood of food blogs that kind of started popping up in in that era, just a little bit mm-hmm. before it, you know, but like really that it hit its kind of apex, you know, right as you were getting started for those few years, but that also coincided and it's obviously correlated as well with kind of the death of print magazines. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. And so like everything was literally as you, the life of Daily Blender progressed, we kind of watched the death of a lot of print, at least print editions of, of magazines, you know, absolutely. as everybody kind of moved online and you were already there in that. It's true. It's true. And it's been interesting to just watch that uh, evolve as well. Again, since it's not a paying gig, I've had, you know, other paying gigs in the process. And, uh, you know, and so the time put into Daily Blender has definitely ebbed and flowed over the years. And once Bourdain passed, I really uh, decided that I wanted to shift again and and come back to food writing and come back to focusing on those stories. And it was a very different terrain. You know, I I found that people uh, within public relations companies or uh, media folks or anything uh, just wouldn't even open the door, wouldn't even talk, wouldn't respond messages. Uh, And I think it's because of that explosion. We really went from, you know, people having blogs about food and drink mm-hmm. to, for like you said, people not really reading things and, and looking more towards social media and Instagramming. Right. Um, and so then then the, the growth of the influencers came along. And so by the time that I stepped back in, in 2018, it was, it was more more, hey, you know, what kind of followers do you have? What kind of views do you have? What kind of mm-hmm. likes do you have? And less about what kind of quality items are you putting out there? Um, you know, I remember being invited to a, 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 just a wine tour here in, in Portland. And, and I was the only one that was a writer in the whole group. All the rest of them were Instagrammers. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it was just such an experience. I think you hit the nail on the head because I, I just heard that recently, you know, that, that somebody was pitching. I, I don't even recall the situation it was, but it was like, Oh, I would love to like sit down and talk with you. I have like X amount of followers and I can get you blah, 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 <laughs> likes. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't really mean anything. And I mean, that's a metric that literally just measures clicks. Yeah. There's not really any engagement. And it certainly doesn't necessarily speak to the content. Absolutely. Uh, You know, in fact, I think it was, I was talking to my wife because she was talking about like the social media stars, like Kardashians and all that. And I'm like, I I just still, I still don't get it. I know I'm an old guy and I don't get it. And so (laughs) I try to stay mildly relevant, but you know, when, when you're putting good content out there and you're getting the interviews that other people can't get, I have definitely found, especially through this show, that there's always going to be a rabid audience that's just like a diehard cadre of fanatics, you know? Yes, and yes. Like, I mean, I've always read your writing because it's 
on the other side of the country. And it's a scene that I can't always have my finger on the pulse. Right. And I, I like to know what's going on. So if I, you know, fly into Portland or Seattle that I'd be like, Hey, well, Jen knows what's going on. You know, <laughs> Although last time I went Thanks, to, I told you this the other day, I, um, there was, I randomly ran into you on the street. I think you were getting off work. Yes. You're yes. In, the, in the Pearl district or something. I just gone over to have drinks. I think I, um, gosh, I don't even remember where I was. I, um, I probably went to go see if Jeff Morgenthaler was working. <laughs> like, I don't know him, but I was like, I'm going to sit and have a drink at his He's bar. the legend. He, he must. Was, right, exactly. And he wasn't there, but, um, which apparently he's always there. And I just <laughs> to, like get the one time he wasn't, but yeah. And then I was walking down the street and then I just heard my name. I'm like, well, I ignored it because I'm like, I'm in Portland. I don't really know that many people here. Yeah. Chances of me running into somebody I know and like turn around and you're like, Hey, and running across <laughs> the street in the middle of traffic. That was great. I it love was great. It's just like, what are the chances, you know? It's true. It's true. <laughs> but you know, the, the, as you've, you've done all of these now is, was the, your writing primarily focused in the Pacific Northwest or because you were traveling um, a lot, were you traveling for work or were you traveling? Uh, I was traveling for daily wonder. Um, You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of traveling anyway. And so I, I, (laughs) right. You know, I, I try to get different places. Uh, And so it worked out really well, uh, especially over the last couple of years. You know, I, I went to Toronto, I went to Montreal, I went to uh, Rio, Rio de Janeiro. Um, Crazy enough, ended up in Rio the same summer that they were having the Olympics. And so I was able to write something that was very timely and uh, very well read by a number of people in uh in in rio in the rio area because my piece was about uh how the the rest of the media was really making rio look really terrifying and and i did not have that experience and so i i got a lot of support from the the local folks which was really- i find that that's the case in a lot of of caribbean countries and it's just mm-hmm. it's it's a very colonialist kind of outlook of like, Ooh, don't go to Jamaica. It's so dangerous. And like, don't, yes. don't leave the resort. When I was last time I was in Jamaica, um, I had to like literally argue with the guards at the resort we we're being put up at um, to like, let me out because we, <laughs> we were going to go to Hampton estate and, yeah. and like the um, manager was going to come over and pick us up and um, they wouldn't let him on property and wouldn't let me off. And yeah. it's just like, it's silly. I mean, I, I understand some people are stupid and usually those people are American, but you know, but you know, that was really, that was really the line of reporting that Bourdain did where he dropped into those places and he would talk about the people that are actually there. And, and that's what I really tried to do in a lot of those places. Uh, you know, so it just ended up working out well that I was able to write about all of these different places as well, just in my own personal movements across the country. And then of course, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been more focused on the Pacific Northwest because I've just, been here. There. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, it's been, obviously, I mean, it's a thriving scene. You have some like legends up in the area. It's all, mm-hmm. and you're right in the middle of one of my, well, not one, uh, absolutely my favorite um, winemaking area in the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it always trips me out that like you can go half hour outside of the city and you're like in beautiful wine country. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so we've, you know, we've got friends there and um, I still need to make it out to see Chris over at Brooks, you know. But, uh, <laughs> He comes to see us every now and again, but of course, the last couple of years, nobody's been anywhere. And yeah. so I guess before we get too far in and get everybody hooked onto readership um, <laughs> for the Daily Blender, you've Thanks, been man. kind of pulling the plug on it. And, and that's really one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the negative aspects and the effects that this pandemic's had on a lot of things. But one thing that we haven't really um, talked about is outside the restaurant industry and like 
we're starting to see obviously supply chain issues, all these things, but it, the level of mental burnout across the board oh. is oh. suffocating for everyone. Like I know what restaurant people are dealing with, but you know, I often forget that there's just a ton of other people that are also affected by what, how we are being affected. Oh, it's and, terrible. Um, that direct line. So, I mean, what made you kind of decide to just step back again and just be like, I, I'm not sure this is the time uh, to continue daily blender anymore. You know, uh, you know, I, I have to say in 2018, just when I stepped into it, that was really a, a shift of the mindset, you know, less about the great content, more about whatever kind of flashy pans, how many followers you can buy sort of situation. And, uh, and really early on, I knew that I didn't want to run in that rat race. Uh, but, uh, but of course, as the time progressed, you know, personally, um, when we lost uh, Rocky Yeh at the end of December 2019, um, he was a really close friend. He was so heavily involved within the industry. Um, he was just a super part of Daily Blender was so uh, so much a part of me really building it uh, in the early years that it really took the wind out of my sails and um, mm. and you know and after a couple of months uh, you know then the pandemic hit and then it just was devastating it just was just heartbreaking to watch mm. the restaurant industry the bar industry um, you know professionally just to see folks like you you know having to close your restaurants knowing you know especially from my standpoint knowing the the rigmarole of, of business knowing how much money was being lost every day knowing how many staffers were 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 just lost you know just were lost in the muck um, and then just as it progressed it just was you know depression you know across all, all of our, you know, states sure. across all of our spaces. Um, but it just was so difficult to watch. And, uh, and I really tried, you know, I knew that I could step in and, and write pieces to kind of bounce it up or, or whatever I could do. But I just, you know, I think I was just was down with everybody else. It, it was yeah. just very hard to get through. The Instagram thing is, I mean, it's definitely been a hard shift. And I feel like that we've had to have hit a saturation point because I just really kind of thought about this about a week ago. Uh, because obviously a ton of the people I follow on Instagram are food and, and cocktail and like cocktails in particular, like there's only so many photos of cocktails that can exist. They all kind <laughs> of end up looking the same, right? Unless yes. you really insane garnishes, but sure. even still it's a drink in a glass Yeah, um, food as well. But you know, it's just when you see it so much, you just are, get spoiled. And, yeah. and, you know, in fact, I remember I was, it was about four days ago because we were looking at some photos um from a, a Michelin three-star restaurant. And yeah. it was like, I mean, they look just as good as pretty much anybody else's because, you know, everybody's paying money just to get that square photo yes. up on the account so they can say, look at how many clicks we got. And I'm not even sure who they're trying to explain that away to. Like, hey, look, we're efficient because we got, you know, whatever, <laughs> thousand likes. I'm like, okay, but did they come eat? You know, yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we're still trying to keep the doors open. And so- yeah. I, it is very frustrating to see like writers walk away, um, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously we're seeing that across the board with journalists. Um, I mean, Camper and I talked about this um, about a year or two ago because we talked about kind of the heyday of blogging, food blogging. Yes, so yes. We're getting to a point where blog, the word blog is kind of, you know, falling out of uh, the public, you know, like consciousness, you know. Where yes, yes. It's all about your Insta videos and... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's TikTok and all that. And, and yep. yeah, it's just, it's the, um, the very short attention span that, you know, we've now got that nothing, I mean, as the death of journalism, you know, mm -hmm. started where nobody wanted to read anything beyond four paragraphs in USA Today, long form was the first, you know, kind of casualty. And then yeah. newspapers started firing their photographers. 
And mm-hmm. so then that was, you know, we could have writers like you pick up and um, and really give that content that the, the traditional media wasn't willing to give anymore. Um, but now we're kind of seeing that dying with, again, our shortened attention span, you know? Here's, Absolutely. Here's like a video of me eating something you can't afford. <laughs> you know? <laughs> No, that's what it is. It's just, it's, it is. It's, a, it's a bunch of like hubris. It's, you know, just yes. showing off. It's like when you see like a rapper drop a video and he's driving like a Lamborghini and throwing like hundred dollar bills everywhere. And you're like, this is your debut album. Come on. You don't have that kind of money, <laughs> you know, and it's, it is, it's just, a, you know, posturing. Um, and I'm not sure where that gets us and I'm not sure where it goes from here, but it is kind of disappointing to hear that, you know, uh, at least daily blender in its current incarnation um, won't be back around, but we don't know what's, what's, what's going to bring. But absolutely. You know. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I never officially say that anything's over because then you never know if there's going to be a, another great offer, another great opportunity, you know, something inspiring, especially, you know, hopefully as we're able to travel more and, and whatnot, you know, there, there could be some future inspiration, but, you know, I, I, I think a lot of us went through that time of, of the pandemic and in the lockdown of, uh, of, of really evaluating things too, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the priorities have shifted, shifted indeed. Absolutely. So, so, but that also, I, I was also going to mention, I've definitely had a couple of people who say, well, gosh, you know, it sounds like we need writers like you still out there and writing mm-hmm. these things. I know, I know. So that's why I would say, you know, that you just, you never know if the inspiration is going to fly by next week. So I tried to find a, there was an article that uh, a friend of mine wrote. He was a uh, food critic in Indianapolis um, for a couple of decades. Um, English guy named Neil Charles. When he left one publication, gosh, it would have been the late nineties, I believe he wrote an, an article about how to evaluate restaurants, you know, and this is still kind of the, uh, when food writers weren't really writing about food as much as they were critics, you know, more mm-hmm. like food critics in the traditional media. And it was really fantastic kind of breakdown of, you know, how to fairly judge a place, <laughs> you know, like just because you don't like it doesn't mean it wasn't made well, you know, those <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later, we saw everybody thinks they're a food critic, you know, with like Yelp and, and Google reviews and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I, I'm just not sure where we go from here because everything is so fragmented. As you look at the industry and like a snapshot of how everything looks in t- 2021, I mean, what do you think, where do you go for your news? Uh, you know, I, I know that, again, as like news aggregators, a lot of people are kind of going to Eater. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I as again, those kind of food websites aren't as popular as they once were, and everything's a list now. It's true. It's um, true. All the, the listicles. <laughs> I know, so many listicles. But yes. you know, how do we go about getting the news that we need? Um, and I know that's a tough question to answer, but you know, we, I'm, I'm getting ready to go on a trip in uh, three weeks. I haven't been on a trip in two and a half years, and. In fact, I've only had like eight days off in the last two and a half years <laughs> no. or two, two years. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But I'm, uh, we're going to go to Honolulu and uh, go to the Big Island, um, just kind of try to vegetate for a week. But of course, the first thing I do is where am I going to go get cocktails? And what are the don't miss places to, to grab food? And all I've seen are listicles. Yeah. I didn't get to see anything in depth except for I saw like a six-year-old article <laughs> <laughs> from you. 
And yeah. so I, I, I haven't dug in to see who's still open and who's not, you know, especially with the pandemic. But Well, and that's the concern. I, I think that, like you said, it's just so fragmented. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I still look to, I feel like the, the San Francisco Chronicle is always still putting stuff out there uh, that's good. You know, I look to California, uh, LA Times, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the uh, the Seattle Times uh, food writers are, are, are good and are trying to stay on top of it and promoting things. Uh, Rebecca Den uh, always knows what's going on in the Seattle area um but yeah I, I think that uh i think that at this point people are still looking to instagram looking to social media mm-hmm. as far as the recommendations um but you know again i i think it's just a tough terrain you yeah. know any kind of articles that you've found that are are prior to 2020 like you said you you can't tell if the restaurants are even open anymore mm-hmm. uh, you know and and i i find that there's more uh politicalness uh, to eating, dining out, uh, going sure, out to yeah. bars at this point, you know, uh, because again, the the whole world has shifted a bit. Um, so it's, it's tough. I really don't have an answer for that question, you know, and I, and I'm not really sure how uh, the food reporting will, will evolve from this point forward. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that today. I um, was in, we, my wife and I kind of went shopping this little art colony and uh, we went into a, um, uh, shop that has glass blowing and like the guy was you know making things right in, in front of the window and um my wife pulled out her cell phone and he was like no videos you can take pictures you can do anything else like no videos videos is ruining this oh my gosh. And, I mean, he, was, he ranted for like 15 minutes about wow. how videos are ruining everything and people are putting it on social media and they're going to take your words and twist them around and blah 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 and like I mean, I was like, oh, wow, maybe he's some like crazy right winger or something. But like, it didn't seem like that from all the signage up in the shops about, you know, vaccines and all that. So I don't know, but he was definitely against. I mean, he was he he said he's been blowing glass for 55 years. So I'm guessing he's got some years underneath him, you know, but yeah, Mm -hmm. not a fan. Not have a you fan. felt like uh, like social media has been a boost to your businesses? I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I think there's the um, the voyeur version of of you know anything when when people are going into restaurants and everyone's taking pictures and everyone's taking mm-hmm. videos. Um, but you know, I I can see how that can be a negative thing on businesses. Um, it certainly could. So I did you ever used to um, check out a life worth eating? You know, we photographed all of his meals. And um, he's a badass. Talk- I can't remember his name now. It's been a while since I've looked. I'm sure he's still active somewhere, but um, he's probably eaten more Michelin three stars than I'll ever even know exist. But um, I chatted with him one time. I think we were in Chicago at the same time. I think right when you show opened, if I remember right. But anyhow, um, he had made a comment either online or to me. I can't remember now, but like how so many people used his website because you know you can see what other restaurants are doing without like having to go there right like a chef can check mm-hmm. out and see what somebody else is doing and kind of see what the vibe is and i definitely find that that is a very cool aspect of it right like i'm not be gonna be going to noma anytime soon but like to pull up Rezepi's like you know instagram feed or like noma's instagram feed and see that not only that but like the sous the pastry chef the line cooks like all the people that are kind of involved in those restaurant kitchens or behind the bars um, so I, I think that it is pretty cool to like be part of that, to kind of show the process behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I do think we've kind of gotten to a, a, a degree now where, like I said, the, the pictures of the drinks aren't going to drive 
any traffic, I guess, from a business standpoint, I don't think it's going to drive people coming in like, oh my God, look at that. Let's go get that thing. Sure. So Where is it probably used to? Yeah. Right. And I think this, again, it's, it's just burnout, you know, I mean, yeah. we, that's now the standard. You, it doesn't really appetize or it doesn't, you know, kind of instigate that desire to come in, just forget that one thing anymore, but the process does. And I think that, you know, the more that we can show behind the scenes, I mean, we, that, we get a lot more like kind of interaction with those kinds of posts. Uh, we're not great about posting on social media. Like I try to stay more active on shift drink than mm-hmm. I do, you know, other things. My business partner runs the Inferno Rooms uh, Instagram and he barely even logs in. But, you know, we do get a lot more um, interaction with those kinds of like behind the scenes or here's what's going on rather than just like, here's a really cool, pretty tiki drink. Well, and I think that's really what what Daily Blender, how Daily Blender grew as well, is being able to give that uh, that insight into the chefs, into the bartenders in the kitchen and 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 behind the bar. Yeah, yeah. So that makes total sense. And and people again, it's that voyeuristic version, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you can you can get to see something that you wouldn't normally get to see. Right. Well, and you had some really kick ass interviews with some people that like gave that snapshot behind the mm-hmm. scenes, and that's. I think the reason that you stood out amongst like a sea of other food bloggers was that, you know, you could see what's going on with Rocky. I mean, like Rocky's so well known in our industry, but outside our industry, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of people would probably have run across him. Yeah. Unless you happen to be in a bar that he was at. Cause then, right. Right. Know, right. You know, I mean, I met Rocky just sitting at a bar um, <laughs> with Chris and he walked over and just sat down with us and joined in the conversation. Like, it wasn't like, Hey, what's up? I'm Rocky. He just like sat down <laughs> like, like he belonged there. Cause that's yes. who he was. And yeah, we were like, this guy's weird and kick ass. Like, I love yes. that. He just did that. We're like, let's hang out with him. So, I mean, that was many years ago. And unfortunately we, we lost Rocky, uh, like you said, um, several years ago. And he was from, um, from the Pacific Northwest. So obviously you guys got to see him more often, but you know, you had, You've done interviews with Chris Cosentino. Um, you've done, uh, let's see, uh, Chris Hanna, I think you did. Yeah, yeah, I got Chris uh, Hanna, yeah, before the, before the pandemic hit, yeah. <laughs> and t- right, exactly. And on top of that, you know, you obviously you're in Portland, so Portland Cocktail Week is huge. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, I got Morgan Thaler up there a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, which I would, if you, you, I would say if you're a Portland-based food writer, food and drink writer, and you haven't talked to him, you, you either pissed him off or you're screwed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? He was he was one of those guys. He's one of those guys. And this was, you know, when I started Daily Blender, I didn't focus on Portland and Seattle because I felt like there were so many people focused on Portland and Seattle at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that's a hurdle that we kind of have to um jump back and forth with with Shift Drink as well. You know, I wanna we started it with the plan to, you know, focus on the Midwest kind of no, not necessarily exclusively, but to put a spotlight spotlight on the Midwest. And obviously as that's grown over the last six years now, gosh, it's been six. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, like I said, it's the ball's rolling and you yep. know, it's kind of like hang on for the ride yep. at this point. But you, you know, that behind the scenes info with some of those kick-ass chefs, like I really love the interview you did with Chris Cosentino. I just, mm-hmm. as a chef, I think it's really kick-ass. He, has laid it out there. I mean, he left television. I mean, he was everywhere for like two years and then just like bailed. It's like a fucking, I don't want to deal with television anymore. Oh yeah. Killing me literally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's really what I saw. You know, I, I, that's why I really loved what I, what I've done with daily blender is because those, those chefs, 
let me in and talked about that stuff. You know, Scott Bryan, Bourdain, um, David Chang was the was the big one. I remember asking David Chang how he was going to, you know, move forward and and you know and and get married and have kids, and he said, "Gosh, I I just don't know how that's going to." happen you know i it and and uh and and again that it's that insight you know at, at some point colicchio said oh i you know i i only like talking to you you're the one that that steps in and talks about this stuff and um and i and and again i i think that it, it kind of like getting all the way back to our <laughs> instagram conversation you know i think that's what people really like and i and i'm really hoping well i know that the food writers that are out there that are that are trying to put content out especially through this difficult time are trying to do that are trying to give that that um, that connection back, you know, the connection that we've lost during the lockdown and and, le- and during all of those closings, and I and I hope that I would that the resurgence of that kind of content would continue. Yeah, I certainly hope so because right now it's more important than ever because I feel like the story isn't getting through to people outside the industry of just how fucked we still are. Yes, you know, I, yes. I talk to like clients all the time that think that you know we got bailed out. Like the, the government gave us a bunch of loans and we don't have to pay them back and our rent got forgiven and all these things that just didn't happen. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, I don't know, it, it, it kind of makes you mad that they don't know that, but then you think, well, ha- where the hell are you going to find this out from? Cause and that's what I was going to say. I think that's where social media is really doing that disservice, you know, because again, we're so obsessed with putting out that perfect picture, that perfect video that we're not talking about actually what's happening behind that video. Um, you know, and, and, and people aren't talking about, you know, what I couldn't get, get out of my head all through the lockdown was how many chefs we were losing in the process, how many chefs, you know, yeah. you know, took their lives. How many bartenders stepped, you know, took their lives? How many, how many people just, just couldn't move forward anymore or lost everything. So many chefs and so many bartenders and so many bar owners and spirits folks lost everything. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I agree, I think there needs to be more focus on the the slog that you guys are still trying to get through with this. And, and, you know, and, and anybody, you know, any, anytime I go into a restaurant or a bar now, I thank everyone I come in contact with. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for just coming to your shift today. You know, this is terrible times. And, and, and I'm, you know, I, I hope that everyone approaches dining and approaches bars in, in that regard from this point forward, you know, it was like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, it, it was already an industry that, that wasn't really thought of that we just took for granted. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hoping, hoping that we still continue that, that those open, those wide eyes, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And obviously uh, bars have gotten hit much heavier than, than even restaurants um, because with a lot of the mandates that came down, you know, um, if you were primarily making your money on alcohol, they, that was just closed down. And, and of course, liquor laws in which if you want to, <clears throat> if any of our listeners want to get more details about that, we talked about it uh, a couple, couple episodes ago about liquor laws, but, you know, carry out, uh, liquors illegal in a lot of places like here in Indiana, we could not make cocktails to go. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We could sell bottles of booze or bottles of beer, but that's it. And like, I mean, that wasn't worth opening and paying somebody to stand there and try, try to hawk beers when we're a tiki, right. Bar, you know? Right. Yeah. And, so, and it was a struggle in the cities that did approve it. Right. Right. And then, you know, well, you saw, um, FOMO or Blasio, I don't remember who the hell's in charge in New York, um, of mm-hmm. uh, uh, those particular, I think it was Cuomo, um before he fucking whatever <laughs> before everybody knew he was a piece of shit or at least when nobody was talking <laughs> right. about but um but yeah i mean he screwed over all those bar owners by giving them like 12 hours notice and like hey sorry you have a bunch of packaging on your shelves get rid of it now because you can't do that starting tomorrow 
Well, and I'm fascinated by the stories now of the bars and the restaurants that are having to deal with, you know, the outdoor areas that they've built and how much money they've invested in those outdoor areas and what's going to happen when the laws change within those cities. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I just, there's just no, there's, there hasn't been any kind of follow through in the thinking of how are we really actually going to bring this back? And, you know, and it it speaks to a much larger fail across the board, as we all agree. Um, But, but it's just, it's just, it's so painful. It's so painful as somebody who's been involved within the industry and has, has met and and gotten to know so many people within this industry to, to even watch from the sidelines. So speaking of, you know, you being involved in the industry, um, you said you wrote a book and I'm actually, I didn't know this. I didn't know you wrote a book about, about your business. And that's, I did. That's I did long ago. It is. Uh, I mean, stepping away from a business is very difficult. Uh, as I learned last year. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, so is it still for sale out there? No, uh, I, it's no longer in, it's no longer in print. You can find it on Amazon. It's still out there. It's under Jennifer Heigl, the former name. Um, uh, it was about, it was part of a, a career diary series and it was a little publisher in Washington, DC, you know, when I was looking for, um, food writing jobs, uh, it was a little publisher in DC that had published six, uh, editions of this career diary and wanted new pitches. And so I pitched them career diary of a caterer. Um, and, uh, and within a couple of days got approved and, and had a contract within a couple of weeks. And I had to write 30,000 words from January 1st to mm-hmm. <laughs> the end of January and, yeah. um, and, and hand it in. And, uh, it, it's very boring. It will, it's great to read before bedtime, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but it's really just, uh, kind of a 30 days in the life of, of, of what it's like to interact with people. And then I, and then I wrapped up every day with kind of tips for running your catering business and, and here's how to make the situation better. Here's how you can, uh, you know, wow. just kind of streamline stuff. Um, I, uh, I found out that it was utilized within, uh, culinary courses uh, around really? the country. Yes. Very cool. How cool is that? <laughs> I was interviewed on La Cordon Bleu radio uh, when it first published. Cause of course, since it was a small publisher, I had to do all the marketing right. and everything myself. Right. Uh, and then I had this ex- spectacular experience um, when I was down in South beach and I was at Michael's genuine food and drink, one of the best restaurants mm, in Miami. Yeah. Um, and I happened to be there on the night that the Bourdains are there. And so they sat us right next to each other and I loved it. I had a chance to, to chat with Octavia and Tony and, uh, and talk about dinner and stuff. Um, but I, at some point the hostess came up to my table. And she said, oh my gosh, are you Jennifer Heigl? And I said, uh-huh, really? I, I, <laughs> yes. And I said, I am Jennifer Heigl. And she said, oh, I read your book in my culinary class in college. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> it was fantastic. Like, yeah, me and Bourdain, we're both kind of the same, <laughs> same level. <laughs> it was marvelous. It was marvelous. So yeah, super, super proud. <laughs> But yeah, just a little book. Um, you know, friends and family mostly have it. I, like I said, you can still find it online when you Google it. And uh, and it's definitely a, a wonderful souvenir for for my daughter to have forever. So, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. we've talked about it recently on this show as well. But, you know, again, when you back up to when that book came out, there has definitely been an explosion of food-related books in the last decade. Yes, yes. And it kind of goes with this, like, beautiful golden age theory that I've got going on. <laughs> I wish it was still going on. I wish I, I wish we could have 30 more years of this, at least yeah. I finish my career, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, um, there's a lot of books to sort through, and there's it's almost like we're all writing for each other. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. you know, we're only selling, you know, bar books or being sold to other bartenders, and then, the, or there's like the, 
kind of consumer facing ones that are just like 15 different ways to make a vodka martini. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Even after that book, I, you know, anytime that I thought about writing more books or pitched it to agents or or literary agencies, uh, you know, it was the same sort of thing. You know, I would say, oh, but it's in the vein of Bourdain. And it's like, but you're not Bourdain. (laughs) You know, I mean, bless him for having the the spectacular outreach that he had with his um, but you know, it was really, uh, it was a, a niche and, and especially what I was doing, talking about the business, you know, you really either get books that are, that are kind of trying to guide you through running your own business, you know, or you get somebody famous that has, that has written something, you know, Danny Meyer writing his autobiography or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I've got like, I've got the shelves behind me. I'm like, yep, there's Danny Meyer's books right here. I've got <laughs> Charlie Trotter's over there. Those are the service. Oh yeah. Yep. This is the tea section over here. <laughs> Right there is the wine section. Yeah, I'm like, yes, I've got yes. like a Dewey Decimal system going on in my house here. Absolutely. And of course, you know, when we're on Zoom, you have to have bookcases. I know, I know. I love all the, all the tiki glasses. I mean, it, it's just beautifully structured back there. This is my hiding place. Uh, <laughs> you know, as we've seen so much of it, but it's it's almost, you know, the because of the amount of static and just noise that is out there. I mean, do you still see value in in the blogs and the books, or I mean, you know, again, I, as we wrap up the decade or we've wrapped up the decade and things are changing, the pandemic accelerated those changes very, very quickly. Is there still value in writing about food, writing about cocktails, reviewing now that there's so many avenues for anybody to pick up a keyboard and, and do it? I, I don't think so. You know, I mean, that's the struggle. I, I think that, like you said, there's just an oversaturation. I think so many of the smaller writers that are doing anything independently or, or doing it on the side as I was, uh, have just kind of fallen to the wayside of, have kind of realized, yeah, so much work. You know, if I'm putting in 10 hours for an article, you know, to get it in up, up on Daily Blender and only getting maybe 50 readers or something like that. I mean, luckily enough, I'm good with SEO. So Daily Blender still has some, <laughs> some yeah, folks good. dropping by. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, unless you're with a big publication, and again, there are there are many. You know, there are fewer publications than there used to be. Uh, right, you know, there's the rub, right? Because then you also have editors that say, "We want you to write about the new chicken sandwich for Chick Fil A." Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you know, or if even you're if you're doing things you love, it doesn't pay. And if you're, you, you know, know, and and bless people like like Eater that have continued on, or Grub Street that have continued on trying to stay in that vein. Uh, you know, but as you know, when you do a, a Google search for something, you know, you just get a lot of listicles, and right. and and a lot of those publications that are still up there and still putting out content are essentially just repurposing those listicles every month and changing the names. You know, yes. I mean, hey, this is this is the the top ten. Rest- restaurants in August and the top 10 restaurants in September and so on and so forth. And I think that, uh, that media is just moving so fast at this point. I, I, I don't know. I don't know I if think there's really speed, I think you, that's exactly it right there. The speed at which, and, and the desire, and one of my pet peeves is the phrase content creator, because that's uh, all what we're here <laughs> as humans. That's what we do. We create content. When I open my mouth, that's quote content, but yes. it's just such a pretentious sounding thing. Like I'm a content creator. Like, <laughs> So are my birds, you know, <laughs> they create content out of their butt every 15 minutes. Well, and you can be a content creator without actually creating any kind of useful, meaningful right. content. And so that's and- where I was going with that because I see, again, when I travel, I go overboard with like my Google maps and I start every place that I want to be because that <laughs> way I can wander around a city and I can just pull out my phone. I'm like, okay, well, I'm two blocks from like three different bars I wanted to hit. Smart. So let's pop over there. So I, I don't ever go in like with an intent of hitting all of them. 
But that way, if I just oversaturate it, sometimes <laughs> my own like my own detriment. Because when we went to Hanoi, I spent weeks doing this, and in the process, forgot to apply for a visa. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, not not good. We, we got in, but uh, it took some payoffs. <laughs> but it was, um, you know, as we see that kind of um, push for new content all the time. I'm starting to see less value in it. And that's why I wanted to ask you, like, is there still value in this? Because so much stuff is being pushed out and it's really hard to wade through it. So, you know, like I said, we're getting ready to go on a trip here in a, in a month or less than a month. And I don't know how much trust I can put in some of these recommendations because I've hit some of these listicle destinations and on other trips. And you're like, what? Why oh, would yes. this consider one of the best must eat places in Washington, DC or must try this in Chicago. And you're like, eh, you yep, know, yep, I agree. So it's that need to just constantly have something new, whether or not it's worth it or not. And, well, and, really and you're getting, you're getting more of the, the dependence on the Yelpers and the Google reviews and things like that. And, and just like you were saying, I've, I've definitely found that, that a five star in Yelp is may not be anything at all, uh, you know, but, but also, you know, in that same regard, if I Google a restaurant and I find four or five PR pieces about it, it doesn't necessarily equate to a great place either. You know, I mean, it's, that's the struggle. So, well, we've been talking for 45 minutes and what we've determined is that uh, it sucks out there and don't trust anything. <laughs> and Jen's quitting because it sucks and everybody else is going into business and don't even read anything. <laughs> True. Have true. a good evening. This is <laughs> Thanks for dropping by for the positive right. thoughts. Here right. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is a, definitely a time where things have been accelerated. You know, I, there was definitely a lot of changes coming to the industry and, and much needed uh, changes, especially in the way that operations um, go. But um, to see all of that happen at once is just um, it's it's more than we can really deal with. And so we're just kind of hanging on for the ride. Um, at this point, we're, while we're trying to keep the doors open, we're also having to kind of figure out how to restructure, you know, pay and, you know, get rid of, you know, tip systems or uh, inequitable pay and all of these things at the same time where we're all trying to hang on for the ride. And a lot of us independent restaurant owners are getting grouped in with like Chick-fil-A or Applebee's or Ruby Tuesdays and all these like chain restaurants that are paying people crap. And, you know, then people kind of get an idea like, ah, restaurant owners are all getting rich off their employees. I'm like, eh. <laughs> not the small <laughs> one, not the ones I know, because we all pay better because we need to of course. talented people. We need talented people. And, of you know, course. those other places can take advantage of that. But, you know, we're trying to fight that at the same time that we're just trying to keep the doors open and pay back the loans. And again, I just think a lot of people don't realize, you know, when we walked away from black market, that's been a year. I got 14 months now since black market closed. And I still get the question all the time. Are you going to reopen it? Mm. Like, no, it's yeah. another restaurant. Someone bought it. We liquidated everything for 10% of the debt that we had. It hurts like, my people, heart. Ed. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> you know, I'd be paying on that for another 30 years. Like, Ugh. but again, I think that a lot of people just got to go home and work from home for a year. And when they went back to work this summer, that it just almost seemed like they thought the world paused for them. Yes. And that, you know, and the whole time we've been, you know, down in the trenches and we're trying to still dig out and they're back. And yeah. It's been really frustrating. And we need people like you writing about it. <laughs> 
Well, and you know, and, and not to be continue to be a, a Debbie Downer on the whole situation, but you, you know, you, you bring up a whole, uh, you know, a whole other aspect of it is, is how many of those big chain restaurants got all kinds of you know, financial infusions and how many of the small ones did not, mm-hmm. you know, it just, I, I, you know, I know there was a, a collective of folks, you know, reading those lists of the, the paycheck protection plan yes. that right. it just, you know, were just appalled, you know, so many of those mm-hmm. larger companies that got three or four different handouts. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just... Well, it's, and the re- restaurant re- revitalization fund, I don't know anybody that got it. Like, at yeah. all. I don't know yeah. anybody across the board. I don't know anybody that actually received it because they ran out of money like 30 hours into it. So, yeah, so, I don't know anybody so that me, would have actually... Let me ask you. a life-changing grant yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you as a, as a, as a diner, how can we best support you? That, that's the question no. I've been struggling with too. I, same, same, because I I have been asked that a lot. And, you know, I think a year ago I would have had an answer. Uh, and I think that the answer is probably uh, different from restaurant to restaurant. Um, labor is definitely an issue with all of us. And so, you know, we can ask for patience as much as anybody, but, you know, we aren't going to get it. We just are in an industry and in hospitality where people just kind of look at us as less than, and they take out their day on us. So that, that's, we all accept that. We deal with that all the time, but, you know, for us um, at the Thai restaurant, you know, carry out has been keeping us in business. And so mm-hmm. while we have our dining room open now um, it's still limited and we just don't really have much of a staff to to handle it. And we've, kind of, I think we've got to a place where we're happy with the number of people we have on staff. We're just going to, we're just kind of choking off the amount of dining that we do. Um, but, you know, I don't really know what the answer to that is. I think just uh, educating themselves more than anything. And, and I know for you, you are, but you know, one of the big things is we have a lot of people that think they're supporting us by ordering DoorDash or GrubHub. And yes, I realize it's hypocritical because I do participate, but we, being, you know, our hands kind of being forced because every Thai restaurant in the fucking country is participating. So, uh, you know, when we didn't, we were just losing our regulars that didn't want to come out during the pandemic. It just didn't make any sense for them to come out. We didn't want them to come out. We didn't want to get sick. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we, we participate as well, but even still uh, we can't let it go. Um, because I, again, they're more than happy to just flip over to a different place. Um, but I, most people don't realize that there is no profit margin with those companies. Yeah. At all. They take it all. I mean, you know, at a 10% margin or less in our industry and DoorDash is taking 30% of oh. cut for every order. I mean, it's not, it's pretty easy to do the math that we're not making anything on that. Um, and so I would definitely encourage you by this ordering carry out from a place to definitely just call the place direct. That, that's probably more than anything. Just call them direct. They'll tell you how to best help. Mm-hmm. because it is Great. a case by case scenario, you know, obviously. And so at the Inferno room, it's very different, you know, we're a bar. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just, it's tricky. I guess the biggest thing is just, pe- I wish people just had more patience with us. You know, it's yeah. been tough, you know, especially, you know, we, you know, we'll have a group of 20 somethings walk in with 17 people on a Saturday night oh. And, oh. Yeah, and then scream at us when we tell oh. them that we're not going to be able to accommodate them. Like it's no. we're at a packed house. It's going to be hours before we ever have that many seats available. And they're definitely not going to be together. (laughs) But on top of that, you know, this pandemic is not done. You know, we're still trying to protect ourselves. Yes. And so it's, yeah, it's a non-answer, right? Because I don't know. know. 
I, like I said, I think a year ago I would have had an answer. I would have, I thought I, I knew how we could be helped, but as we've kind of largely been abandoned by the government and the people that had real money to help us, uh, now it's just kind of a case by case scenario. So, uh. um, yeah, just be patient with us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh. you know, I, I think it, this has made me more involved, um, politically, uh, as far as I wouldn't say politically, as far as like, you know, uh, bipartisan politics, but, uh, I'm sorry, partisan politics, but the, um, you know, kind of lobbying efforts to like get the funding that we need out there. Um, and so, yeah, nothing's really come about from it, but at least, you know, I, I think the, one of the stories is not being told is how the insurance industry has not paid out anybody on business. Mm. When we were forced to close down, we pay a lot of money in those episodes and we did, uh, we, I'm sorry. And in those policies, and we did an episode about it uh, about six months ago, but you know, again, I, I don't know of anybody that's been paid out on, on those policies, but a story that's not being told. Um, but you know, it is all negative and I, I get it. It's, you can't be printing negative stuff all the time. It's just, unfortunately right now, that's the reality. And you gotta, yeah. you gotta be honest. Like you just said, you know, like I don't see value in food writing right now. Like that's an honest answer. You know, you can sugarcoat yeah. that. But, um, you know, unless you're writing for the New York Times, you're going to be fighting a hell of an uphill battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, oh, well, my heart just continues to go out to you, Ed. I mean, you've been one of those one of those owners that's just continued to plug away and, and, and closing black market, like I said, still hurts my heart. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, but a lot of, a lot of owners had to make those choices and, 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 and I'm glad that you've been able to continue moving. You also lost your parent for a little while. I was very, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 you know? No, I will have to say for a, a, a compliment to social media, I've never seen anybody turn up for me like that. Um, it was amazing when my, my bird, <clears throat> she got startled, flew out a door and um, I live in around an area that's just outside the city, heavily wooded. Um, and she was gone for 20 hours. Like everybody oh. was like, you're not going to find her. And oh. there was like over like 1500 shares on oh Facebook gosh. and on Instagram. And I had people direct messaging me like, I'm in this neighborhood looking for her. Like, what's her name? And I mean, it was crazy. There was literally the, the, the local news put a story out on the um, like daytime news that day <laughs> about, about her bird being or about my bird being missing. If anybody's oh and I just, I, I was just pulled over. I, I couldn't believe how much everybody wanted to help me. And we did get her back. We got her yeah. Um, yeah. She was 55 feet up a tree. Oh and my gosh. The fire department couldn't get her. We finally found a tree service. Um, and my wife had to go up in the bucket truck and like <laughs> go up 50 feet uh and, and got her got her down yeah she was scared but wasn't so scared that she would fly downwards you know and so uh yeah, yeah. and i was so grateful to see that you got her back and you know what it is and 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 it kind of segues into our our whole rest for our segment is it's just the good stuff that we got to hold on to you know that the, the restaurateurs and the owners and you know that are back that are still able to to have their businesses and their spaces and hopefully continue forward you know i know that there are uh, our servers and bartenders that i've spoken to and in my times out that are just so grateful to be back and to be back mm. working and and to be back with their people and uh you know i i think that's what hopefully will continue to get us through this slog yeah well you know i've been negative and, and highlighting those negative parts of it but at the end of the day we just want to be around people like that's why we chose hospitality we take energy from that from those interactions educating people kind of doing those things and i think that's why a lot of us feel so sucked dry 
at, from the last two years is because we didn't get to have that. That creative end of it just kind of went away and it just became a grind of like keeping the doors open. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that we're starting to see a little bit more of the creativity come back. You know, we finally are starting to do, we have a chance to do fall menus, winter menus again. We're just now talking about doing those kinds of things. And so uh, I think that it's it's starting to come back and hopefully with that will be a lot less depression, but yes. definitely leaning on each other, you know, um, being able to chat with you is always, always a, a great time to kind of put my head right. And uh, really all of us together um, because at least we all understand each other and what we're all going through. And it has definitely been a mentally trying time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, grateful to have everybody. Absolutely. So what's next for you? Um, do you have what's any next? idea or just, yeah, just kind of throwing it to the wind? Uh, I don't actually, I I'm going to be uh, launching a new uh, business in January. Uh, it's really off the beaten Anything path. You can talk about? Uh, it's a little out there. It's some spiritual guidance, some uh, mediumship and tarot right. and uh, right. some healing. Uh, I lost my father at the beginning of the pandemic and I had spent many years taking care of him through uh, brain cancer and mm-hmm. uh, and had the opportunity to interact with a lot of people in, in retirement homes and hospitals. And uh, and, and especially once the, the pandemic hit, uh, I really felt that I wanted to get out there and to try to do as much help as I could lifting others up. Um, I really found myself just trying to give as much as I could to various people and, um, and kind of kept taking that path. And, uh, and so I'll be, uh, offering sessions to folks, um, kind of a, a grief support, uh, end of life support for folks that are, are looking at that, uh, transition and, uh, and just trying to help people where I can. So where can people find you on <laughs> the ever hated social media? <laughs> Go oh, hit. You can, she needs likes. Go get the <laughs> You can still always find me at, at Daily Blender, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I will definitely uh, make any kind of announcements once the business is officially launched uh, so people can find me. Um, and uh, you can always email me at, uh, at jennifer at matthewson.com. Uh, matthewson.com will remain uh, my adorable little author website. Uh, and then Daily Blender will remain up. Uh, yeah, the there's still a lot of really great info there. I mean, there is, going and back like I said, it, yeah, I, I still get uh, probably 500 to uh, 1,000 people dropping by a Daily Blender every month, uh, which is really great to see. Uh, I do have a couple of, you know, come to those cities and, and dine and mm-hmm. enjoy kind of guides uh, as well, yes. uh, and some really great interviews uh, with a lot of great people. So uh, it will still be there as well. Well, check it out, folks. Uh, Daily Blender, it may not have any fresh content this year, but. <laughs> If we push hard enough, we might be able to get it <laughs> next year. Like, listen, we 10,000 readers a month, and we we're going to force her hand. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know it was kind of random. We just started chatting earlier in the week, and I was like, hey, come on to the show. Let's talk about hey, it. Hey, anytime, anytime. It's such an I honor. Yeah, you're just such a wonderful guy, and uh, and I'm I'm just happy to see a smile on your face and, and flipping <laughs> through. Yes, yes, wonderful. Yeah, to it see. was nice to have a day off today. <laughs> <laughs> now I have like something to look forward to with this like this trip to Honolulu. It's like okay, yes. I've got something. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's only a week. Like it's fine. I haven't had that since 2019. So very <sighs> much looking forward. Grateful for all the little bits of joy every day. Well, keep bringing it. Keep writing if you can. Uh, but definitely, we'll have links to everything on the show notes. Um, obviously you can still check us out at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. Find us on uh, Instagram at shiftdrinkpodcast. Occasionally I'll update Twitter, but mostly it's just episodes. So yeah, find me on Instagram. That's where you can find all of our fun pictures and we'll have all the info for Jen up there online. Uh, until next time, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, great to see you, Ed. Thank you for having me.